production of AutoLine This Week is underwritten in part by Hyundai, True Car, and... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. You know why I pulled you over, ma'am? I need you to recalibrate the Doppler shift on the return signal. Radar's on the frisk. Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things going on in the supplier industry, and that's because my special guest today is James Verrier, the president and chief operating officer of Borg Warner. James, great having you on the show. Great to be here, John. And, and what I should say is, even though I called him the chief operating officer, they just recently announced he's going to be the next CEO, chief executive officer of the company starting January 1st, 2013. Yeah, very much so, thanks. Congratulations on your promotion there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Joining me on my journalist panel today are Joe Sesney from the Oakland Press and Drew Winter, the editor-in-chief of Ward's Auto, and great having the both of you here as well. Thanks, John. James, Borg has been on a, on a wild tear here for the better part of two decades. I remember in the early 90s where the company almost went bankrupt, but then it put together a very astute strategy of really concentrating on technology that would boost fuel economy, reduce emissions, improve performance. You're going to be taking over as CEO. What's your strategy going to be now? Well, you're right, John. It's been um, it's been a great ride, and um, I'm really fortunate that I've been there for all of it. I've been with a company just um, on 23 years now. So, when we went public back in '93, we were we were just under a billion dollar company, um, and we we spent a lot of time at that time figuring out what our focus was. And you're right. And the first thing we decided we're going to be a powertrain company, and we're going to focus ourselves on technology, leading edge technology. And I think we were one of the very first that saw the big push for fuel economy all those years ago and emissions and performance. And then the real cool thing is we stuck to the strategy. We stuck to the strategy and over two decades we've just executed consistently against that strategy and the results are there to see. I mean it's been a fantastic growth story and a very successful company and I'm I'm certainly proud of it. And, and you rebalanced the company, too. You know, Borg goes way back. I mean, back to the, the beginning of the, the, the horseless carriage. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was always in an American company. Now you're, you're pretty much distributed around the world. And, and I'm wondering, do you need to rebalance that in light of what things are going on today? Well, first of all, you're right. We, when we went public, we were probably 80-plus percent North America with a, with a small piece of business in, uh, in Europe and a little in Asia. And over the years, um, that's changed significantly. And you know, here we are today, just over 50% of our business is in Europe, and the rest of the business is split pretty equally between the Americas and, and Asia. And you know, it's, it's interesting that you think, how did we get there? And the real reason we got there was so much innovation around powertrain, so much drive for fuel economy and emissions emanated in Europe. And so as those European OEMs drove those standards and drove that level of performance, it pulled the likes of Borg Warner in. So that really balanced our portfolio in, in Europe. 
you know, as I look out and I look forward, we, we uh, aim is to have a very balanced portfolio. We, we absolutely think that's a, a key advantage for us, both geographically and from a customer point. So if I look out five to 10 years, We'll, we'll, we'll keep that balance. But your investors are going to be concerned about, have to be concerned about your exposure in Europe right now. I mean, you, I mean, the European economy shows no signs of being able to kind of right itself here in the next uh, couple of years. Can you, uh, how, do you, how do you ride that out given, uh, given, your, given your position there? Yeah, that's a, you know, Europe is, uh, Europe's certainly a challenged place. I, I think there's no, there's no mystery there. It's, um, you know, this year in 2012 has been a has been a challenging year. The good news for us, as as Borg Warner, as as Europe has been in decline this year. You know, the, depending on which report you read, it's seven percent, nine percent down year over year. You know, we're probably going to be about flat, um, and that's another example or another reason that the adoption of our technology is enabling us to grow faster than the market, and that's okay. been a very critical piece. So. A flat market is unusual for Borgwana. We're such a growth company. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment for us, but we've been operating in a, in a flat environment. And as we look out over the longer term, we're very comfortable that you know Europe will find a way to correct itself and will start to grow again, and we'll, we'll see that growth with it. So, but, And even as, as uh, Europe slows down, U.S. sales are looking pretty good next year. And there's almost an explosion in the, in the turbocharger market. I mean, we can hardly imagine now um, an engine without a turbocharger going ahead. I mean, it just seems like everything now is we're, we're downsizing and boosting just about every new engine. So what does that market look like to you? Yeah. I dream about that every night. Yeah. It, it, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Every vehicle with a turbocharger yeah. is just like a, a dream for us. Um, but you're right. The the Downsized boosted engines has been a, a global phenomenon, and uh, you know, we, we've seen that for a, a long time in, in Europe, where the adoption rates on diesel and, and, and now on gasoline are, are very, very high. And that's absolutely coming to the U.S. And, and also to Asia. We're seeing tremendous adoption rates um, in, in both of those continents. But now you pretty much, it's you and Honeywell, uh, I think, are the, the big players. But now we've got a bunch of new ones coming in, Continental. Um, Bosch and Mali. Uh, so you've got growing market, but obviously more competitors. Are you going to be able to hold on to your market share as we go forward in the turbocharger market? Yeah, the simple answer is yes, is the, is the real quick answer. Um, you know, as we look out, we, there's going to be, you know, if you look at the, the vehicle market, there's going to probably call for another 15 million or so turbochargers usage over the next five years, if we look from 2012 out to 2017. So that measures the explosion in the growth rate. Um, you know, the, the new entrants that came into the sector, you know, this was a decision made a number of years ago where the automakers had the foresight to see this explosion, explosive growth in turbos. And at that time, there were two principal guys, Borgwarner and Honeywell, with the Japanese uh, competitors also. And they just felt uncomfortable because they could see that growth rate and it just made sense to them for, to bring in additional people. So... Continental and Bosch Mahler are coming into that space. <clears throat> and they're two companies that we have a lot of respect for. They're, they're you know, very good companies, very well-run companies. And they're now entering into that space. Um, what we see, though, is the automakers are not, um, they're not about, I don't believe, to bring them in on a, on a sharp incline. You know, this is a highly engineered, highly technical product. And it's going to take a lot of care to bring them into that space. So I think we're going to see them come into the space 
um, and they're gradually going to find their way in that space. As we look at our data and we look out five or six years, we're, we're very comfortable about our market share holding firm to where it is today. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, over that six years or so that the new entrants have been learning how to design and manufacture a relatively standard turbocharger, we've been putting a lot of investment dollars into next generation turbocharging technology. So we're maintaining that, that advantage and that leapfrog in technology versus the new entrants, which we believe will be key for us to, to maintain our share. Right. Turbochargers are becoming more and more common in trucks as well, in trucks and SUVs as well. And the, how do you see that market developing here in the next, uh, next few years? Yeah, we see, um, we see some good examples today of, 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 of penetration on, on gas vehicles, um, SUVs and light trucks. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of publicity around, you know, the EcoBoost platform with Ford, um, you know, where we're seeing tremendous take rates on penetrations uh, there, you know, with the V6 engine uh, outplacing the, the V8 engine. So, so we're seeing that, that trend uh, continue. Um, and then you have uh, the, the diesel side, which are, which are turbocharged as well. So, so we're going to see that continue to unfold both on uh, light vehicle and, and truck also. James, you mentioned the, the next generation of turbo coming. Can you tell us something about that? I know years ago there had been talk about going with ceramic impellers, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of things that never came to fruition. But what's the next generation of turbo going to entail? You know, there's, um, there's, a, there's a number of innovations and inventions that we're working on. Um, one, of the, one of the ones that I think is cool that we've recently announced is, you know, we were the first to get to market with the two-stage turbochargers, you know, and, um, you know, recently we've announced uh, for three. Three. So we're going with three. <laughs> we've got to talk uh, more about this, too. Yeah, with, but. With, with BMW is, mm -hmm. is a great example. But, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on within, the, within some of the wheel geometry and the wheel materials which allow a faster spool up, a faster inertia rate to, to help with transient response. So there's a lot of innovation going on in, in that part of the turbocharger. There's a lot of um, cool science in the, in the, the housings and the, the shaping and the volutes within the housing mm -hmm. to, to manage better flow. There's evolution around um, electrically assisted turbochargers. Um, there's different names out there, but using a, a small motor in conjunction with the turbocharger to help on, on fast response uh, at the spool up, so there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff going on in that space. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, I, I was impressed when engines started coming out with two turbos on them. As you mentioned, BMW's just gone to just three stage, which is essentially three turbos. How many turbos are we going to see on an engine? Yeah, well, we hopefully three is good, yeah. right? Three is good. <laughs> three, three is good. three is good. Um, you know, I think it really depends on 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 you know, obviously on what the automakers are trying to do from, a, from a, an engine and a vehicle perspective. Our philosophy or our approach is, you know, we do, we have these three-stage turbochargers, we have very huge turbochargers for industrial and commercial applications, and then we've got little tiny turbochargers, you know, for, for 0.6-litre uh, engines. And the key for us is you, you've got to have something for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a one-size-fits-all with turbo. You've, you've got to have a family of products and a range of products and that's what we found has really helped us with the automakers, that we're not trying to push a certain technology on them. Mm -hmm. if, if they want to go this way, we can go this way. If they want to go this way, we can. So that adaptiveness and that product breadth has been 
has been a big advantage for us. So how much of a role does the customer play in actually designing your end product then in, 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 in before it goes into the, uh, into the final, into their, into their vehicle? You know, the way, um, the way we typically would work on this is, you know, we'll, we'll sit down with an automaker, you know, very early in the process. You know, they'll be thinking about a, a next generation engine and we'll, we'll sit with them very early in the, in the game. And we'll, we'll have a lot of good open discussions about what it is they're trying to achieve with, with, with the engine, you know, in terms of, you know, response and those types of things. So there's a lot of discussion done with them. And then we'll start talking about what we can offer and what fits them, whether it be from a packaging performance, a transient response performance, you know, the map of the turbocharger. So we, we'll have a lot of those discussions with them. The design of, of, the, of the product is, is, is Borg Warner. That, that's very much our design. But it's very interactive, very interactive with the OEM at an early phase so that we can, we can give them what they need in terms of optimizing, you know, fuel economy and, and performance and emissions. That, that's really the game. So there's a lot of good discussion, but we, we own the design and, 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 and that's what we do. One of the other things that's impressive about Borg Warner is that you actually have a really broad customer base. You don't, you have, I, I think almost every automaker buys from you yeah. around the world. Can you tell us a little bit of, do you have any hints about what some of your customers who seem to do, do better than others or uh, in, in terms of hand, how they handle the technology? Yeah, you, you're right um, about the, the breadth of, of portfolio with the, with the customers. We, it's one of the, the charts that we show, uh, one of our public charts, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to look at because it, um, it's very hard to get all of the customers' names on this chart, which is fantastic. So it's very, very broad, very, very breadth. Um, you know, most of, the most of the customers have the same challenges, right? They're all, they're all trying to you know, drive for fuel economy. That, that's, that's the big play right now. They're all trying to meet emission standards. So they're all playing that game. Um, and I think you see some of them that are probably, in my opinion, being a little more proactive, um, mm -hmm. probably got a little bit ahead of the game. I think some of them um, are very focused and stick to a very, very clear, clear focus plan. And, but we, we work with all of them. We work across the board with all of the customers. Um, but I think the end point for most of it is very similar. It's around that fuel economy and emissions and performance. One of the things we're seeing is as engines get so much smaller and power dense is this, this heat and thermal efficiency and everything's becoming a much bigger issue. Um, the, the folks at Mala are, are, are I know, are, are looking at, they're getting into the heat exchanger business and looking at, at, at uh, um, all the, the intercoolers and all sorts of things that deal with this heat now that is going to be generated uh, so much more intensely under the, uh, you know, under the hood. Mm -hmm. um, are you looking in, in actually, you know, expanding your product line or getting involved in more related technologies to turbochargers? Yeah, we are. Uh, you, I think the the thing that we're looking at or you're talking about is what we as in Borg want to refer to as thermal management. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really about that. And, you know, the good news is we're in thermal management and we've been in thermal management for, for quite a while, actually. We, you know, some of our products today, we, we have uh, fans and fan drives, uh, EGR valves, EGR coolers. And, you know, you think about those products, they're all around, you know, managing heat, managing cooling and those types of things. So we have that core competency inside of the company. What we're seeing is, when we talk to the automakers, you know, there's ever-increasing challenges around, you know, managing that heat, managing that cooling in, in the vehicle. 
And so while we continue to go forward with our products that I've described, we're, we're working with some of the OEMs around some integrated system solutions where we can bring parts of our technology, maybe in collaboration with another tier one, to bring a more holistic thermal management solution for the OEMs. And it's something we're finding a lot of interest from the OEMs around that thermal management area. So, yeah, we're putting a lot of time and a lot of money into that, actually. Strategically, how do you go forward with that? Do you, do you look for another company to, to buy out, for example, or, or do you think, can you grow it in-house, or how do you meet that kind of a challenge when the, when the technology is, is evolving like that? Yeah, we, um, how we manage from a, from a technology portfolio maybe is a, a way to think of this. We, we address it on a number of fronts. Um, you know, our, our core businesses are always looking for innovation and invention of their, of their products. So we're already looking at what is the next advanced cooler look like or what is the next dual clutch transmission look like. So we do a lot of that work at what we would call a business unit or a product perspective. But we have an, a couple of other areas that are key. We have a, a corporate advanced engineering group that's looking much further out, typically 5, 10, 15 years out, of what that next generation of product may look like for us. Um, and we also have something where we have a corporate funding for, it's kind of like a venture capitalist type approach inside the company, where we set aside some dollars for stuff that's a little bit out of the box. And um, that's, that's a core part of the, the culture of Borg Warner. Um, and as a side, that's how DCT, or dual clutch transmission, was born in Borg Warner many, many years ago. It came out of one of these venture capital type programs. So that's what we do inside. But what we're also doing is scanning what, what could add to the portfolio, what could bring a next generation technology into the company. And we look at that externally as well through either acquisition or, or through you know, partnership with, 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 with a company. Um, and we have a very robust process for managing our acquisition targets. Um, we are, always have a list that we're, we're interested in and talking to. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. Two of the good examples if, that I think of in most recent times, you know, the, the Haldex acquisition that we brought into the company right. to bring that coupling technology for all-wheel drives, great example. You know, we're in all-wheel drive, we've got transfer case technology. You bring that coupling technology into the company, it suddenly makes us have a lot more options. We were always in EGR valves, so we acquired an EGR cooler company, uh, ENSA, and now what we're finding is more and more OEMs are looking at a, a cooler valve module and guess what? We, we can bring that to the table. So that's been our pattern. We'll do a lot of organic development, but we'll also complement it with acquisitions that can bring into the family as well. As you mentioned at uh, the beginning of the show, uh, Borg 20 years ago put together a strategy that's worked brilliantly for 20 years. I'm wondering about the next 20 in the sense that automakers keep pushing electrification. And I can see the day coming. We're already seeing it now, albeit on a small volume scale. Whereas instead of using a turbocharger, they're using an electric motor and a small battery set mm -hmm. just to be able to launch the car. Do you feel that as a threat? Is this an area that Borg should be getting into? What do you, what do you think about electrification? Yeah, we, um, the way we look at it is um, if I think to the extreme or the end of the, of the full electric vehicle, pure, pure electric vehicle, our view is as we look out 10, 15 years, we think that's going to be a very small niche market. Maybe maybe two or three percent of the vehicles. We don't ignore it. We, we always look about how can we play in that space, and we have some, some ideas there. 
But then I, I peel back to, you know, various forms of hybrid technology, you know, all the way from stop-start to, to parallel hybrids. Um, and that's very good for Borgwana. You know, when you look across our product portfolio, our products work extremely well with hybrids. So, so the way we think of it is not to dismiss electric, full electric, but we think the majority of the platforms are going to be ICE, they, there's going to be a lot of hybridization, and that's all good for BorgWarner. You mentioned parallel hybrids, very interestingly, which of course is the, the path that Toyota's going down. Mm -hmm. But there's others like uh, the GM, E-Rev, Chevy Volt, mm -hmm. or even the new Honda Accord hybrid, which are series mm -hmm. uh, hybrids, which don't even use a transmission. Uh, yeah. So d are you betting or hoping on the, the parallel hybrid instead of the series hybrid? We think, we, I mean, we think there'll be a place for both. I mean, there'll be a place for both, but um, I don't want to say we're, we don't bet on any one thing, John. I, I think that's a good way to say it. We don't bet on any one thing. The way we look at it is we look out 10, 15 years, there'll be a place for all of these, you know, and Borg Warner will find a way to get content on pretty much any powertrain solution that comes, and, and that's what we've done in the past. But we really do believe that the, the ICE has tremendous the mainstream future and I we believe there's a lot more um, opportunity in the internal combustion engine and obviously that's very very strong for us. I had one other question and could sort of change the subject a little bit. Your Borg Warner is a technology company basically I mean I think that's the way you should probably be looked at. Where do you get the personnel, the engineer, where are you going to get the personnel and the engineers that are you going to need it to drive the company forward here in the next few years? Yeah, well, you're right. We, we're absolutely a technology company. There's no question about that. That's, that's who we are and, and what we are. Um, which, if you think about it, when you're trying to attract engineers, what a cool place to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can come to BorgWarner and you can work on dual-clutch transmissions, you can work on turbochargers, you can work on advanced thermal systems. So it's, it's, it's like an engineer's dream to want to come for, to BorgWarner. Um, where we do our engineering, we do it all around the world. You know, we do, we do a lot right here in Michigan. We're very proud of that. And we've been very successful so far in both retaining the great talent that we've got and bringing talent into the company. But we do a lot of engineering work in Europe where we've, we've done very well. And we're doing more engineering work in Asia. Um, a lot of what we do is we'll, we'll work, bring engineers into the company um, early in their career, you know, co-ops, internship programs. And we find generally when we get those interns and those co-ops and they come in, they really like it. They really like it. So we've had good success. It's not without challenges. You know, there's probably still not enough engineers to go around the world today. We're writing about that all the time. I mean, and, and, the, and the engineers that uh, some of the top ones, they don't want to go to work in the auto industry. They want to go to work for Google or some, you know, I mean, all these other places that uh, uh, they see more opportunity or doesn't have this uh, as bad a rep of being cyclical or all these other things. So, I mean, is that, uh, you talked about some internship programs and things like that. Is that, do you accelerate that? Or, I mean, how do you ensure you have a steady flow of new, young, excited engineers? Yeah, we do, we do do a lot of internships. We do a lot of co-ops. You know, the other thing that I, I feel strongly about is, you know, we've got to get that message through to the schools as well, high schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the days of what I call old automotive, that nobody wants to go in these dirty factories and all this nasty stuff. I mean, those days are long gone, and we all know that. So what we have to do is continue to find ways to, you know, working with people like SAE and others, get that message through to the high school kids that the auto industry is exciting. 
It's, and you know, what a great time right now. I mean, people are seeing this resurgence of automotive. They're seeing a lot of the technology. So I, I, I think it's exciting, but it, it's a battle, right? You've got a, it's a war for talent, and you, you've got to go up against the Googles and the other guys, um, but we're not going to stop trying, I've got to tell you that. James, we're getting down towards the end here. What I want to ask you about is this topic that I seem to be running into throughout the supplier industry. It's, it's coping with the capacity crunch. Car sales and production in North America, especially the U.S., have, have just about come back to where they were before. But everybody closed down so much capacity. They know they need to add more, but there's so much uncertainty economically about do you go with bricks and mortars or not? Mm. What's your view? Will Borg Warner be building bricks and mortar facilities in North America, in the U.S. in particular, in the coming future? Yeah, I'm, I think, you know, as I look at the moment, our footprint in, 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 in North America is, is, is good, it's strong. Um, from a brick and mortar perspective, we, we're pretty well there. We're pretty well there. Um, the good news is we've got some additional room to grow in our North American footprint, and, and we'll do that. You know, the thing that we've tried to do, and, you know, because we've been a growth company for so long, it gives us a little bit of an advantage to be a little bit more proactive. But we have a very robust process where we're looking out a couple of years and making sure that we've got that capacity in ahead of time. I think we're not the only supplier in the world that has, has, has got themselves into a capacity jam years ago. And that's not a pleasant life when, you, when you're doing that. And so what we found is we want to get ahead of the game on, on capacity and, and get it in proactively. You don't want to do it recklessly and just have a lot of excess capacity. But I think there's a smart way to do it. And it's what, what we've done. So we feel good with our footprint in, in, in North America. Um, and we're continuing to grow in North America. And it's good. Are you and, shifting capacity from Europe? Uh, to hear that may be unused to, to aid? We need a quick answer. We're done. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, generally, we generally produce um, in the region that we sell. It doesn't, we'll do a little bit of export, but generally speaking, we find the most efficient way to use our capital is to produce and sell in the region where we are. So we don't do a, a lot of intergeographical shifts. And on that, we're going to have to hang it up here. But thanks so much, James Barrier, yeah. for coming on the show. And Joe and Drew, want to thank you and want to thank all of you for having tuned in today. Production of Auto Line this week is underwritten in part by Hyundai, True Car, and. Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. Why? Because plants need water to grow. Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Because I forgot to get a receipt. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai.